Okay, here's the phrase for today. This is the American culture. Get all you can. Can all you get. Sit on the can. <laughs> is that America? Get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can. If you think that's only our culture, all you have to do is go back a couple thousand years ago and Jesus addresses it so that maybe their culture is not that much different than ours. And in this parable series that we're going, he flips the script all the time on what you would expect. Listen to these words. If you have your, your journal, it's in there on page uh, whatever, week four. And um, if not, it's up on the, it's on the screen. <clears throat> then he told him a story. Jesus told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, ah, I know. I'll tear down my barn and build bigger ones. And then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and all other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, self, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, if Jesus would have just stopped right there, we would go, wow, he, he's, gonna, he's telling us what success is all about. This guy's going to have, like, TV programs about him, how to just keep building more barns and to the point you can just sit back and eat, drink, and be merry. I can't wait to hear this. And then Jesus flips the script. But God said to him, you fool. You can just hear, Arr! all the air goes out of the room. Arr! You will die this very night. And then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. That last little verse I love in the New International Version, and a little phrase that's used in almost all the other translations, which I like more, it says, this is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Rich toward God. Love that phrase. I have a friend who has spent most of his adult life, at least, on the mission field. He's been all over the world. He's been outside the country more than inside the country. A while back, he came back to the, the country for a while, and he was a professor at one of our colleges, and I... I asked him when he came back, hey, what do you notice when you come back into the States after being gone for so long? And it was, he didn't even have to think about it. He said, oh, oh, a couple things. One is the commercials on TV. Like, he goes, they embarrass me. Things we, we just talk about on, like, you know, you know what those are. And then he said, the other one is this. How many facilities of storage units there are in America? He goes, it's amazing. They're everywhere. He said, you know what, if, like if there was a, an Olympic competition for storing your stuff, Americans would have the gold medal, silver medal, and the bronze. And I, so I started looking around on the internet and everything. There's, there's 58,000 storage unit facilities in America. Not just the little cubicles, facilities. 
we have more storage units in America than McDonald's, Starbucks, CVS, Walgreens, Walmart combined. You just don't notice it. Every time you see little golden arches, a lot more storage units, facilities than that. Starbucks on every corner, not as many as storage units. It's crazy. And you're going, well, I don't have a storage unit. Some people do. I don't have one. Yeah, what do you call your garage? <laughs> it's surely not a place to park your car. Isn't it crazy? I mean, <laughs> we build a, a house for our cars, and then we can't get our cars in there because we have too much stuff. And so we decide we're going to put, that's not right. We need to put the car in the house we built for it. So we have to find something else for our stuff. And so we get a storage unit for our stuff. We build houses for our stuff that's bigger and better built than most homes throughout the world. <laughs> and so our stuff in Phoenix, we air condition them. So our stuff is comfortable. <laughs> what leads up to this parable? That God, for the first time in all the Bible, would say, hey, you are a fool. I mean, those are pretty big words. And coming from God? What leads up to it? Well, if you, if you read that 12th chapter... It tells us that there's thousands of people gathered to listen to Jesus. So much so that they're tripping over one another. The Bible says they're falling over one another. That's how many people are there. And Jesus starts laying it out. And I mean, he lays it out. Stuff about hypocrisy and hell and um, standing up for your belief in Jesus. And when everybody else is denying, I mean, he, he's like drawing the line in the sand and saying, no more of this stuff with, with the religious leaders who were pulling everybody away and here's a here's a line in the sand if you're a consumer if you're a spectator if you're kind of just checking out the thing you're over here but if you're really going to follow me this is heavy stuff and boom he's going and in the middle of it thousands of people a guy raises his hand uh i've got one question here's the son of god talking about the most important things i got one question i want to talk to you a little bit about my financial picture here um i've got a brother and we have an inheritance coming, and he's not giving me what I deserve. Like, Jesus goes, am I like a judge or an arbiter? Is that really it? You have one question for the Son of God, and you want to talk about your bottom line? Before you judge the guy, that rings a bell with a lot of us, doesn't it? Instead of really talking about the things of God, hey, what, how does this affect my bottom line? Jesus says, in the verse preceding this parable, verse 15, again out of the NIV, he said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he goes into the parable. Watch out, be on guard. Why is he saying that? Because there's all kinds of greed, not just one kind of greed. There are, there's a variety of greed, and it's so subtle that if you're not on guard, you're going to be swept right into it and not even realize it. It's, like, it's not like he doesn't come down against any other kind of sin. 
But all the other sins are pretty well, pretty well self-evident when that happens. You don't just kind of like wake up one morning and look over and you go, oh, you're not my spouse. How'd that happen? I might have committed adultery. I don't know. No, it's pretty evident. You walk out in your garage and there's piles of money from the Brinks truck, $450,000. Well, how'd that get here? I no, most sin, we know we're getting into it. Greed, though, so subtle. And so he says, watch out. Be on guard at all times. It's, it creeps into your life without you even realizing it. And I want you to be rich toward God. Two points in this whole message. Be alert to greed and be rich toward God. Be alert to greed, the power of greed, and be rich toward God. Why be alert to greed? Why watch out? Well, greed has this tendency to blind us to this self-preoccupation. It taints everything in our life. We, we, we get camouflaged when it comes to greed. Like if I ask you, do, do you know any, any greedy people? And you would go, well, yeah, sure I do. In fact, there's probably a couple of them in the auditorium. Don't, don't look. Don't look at them, but there's probably a couple of them in the auditorium around here. <laughs> greed is so easy to spot in someone else, but so difficult to spot in ourselves. Because it, it blinds us. Self becomes number one. We become preoccupied with self. It becomes all about self. So when you read that parable, in the Greek at least, there's 12 personal pronouns. What should I do? I don't have room. My crops. I know. I'll tear down. I, I have enough room. I, 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 my, my, I, my, I, I, my. I mean, think about the self-preoccupation of the guy who would interrupt Jesus in front of a thousand people and say, uh, my brother, my brother right there, he's, 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 he's messing me over. Can we talk about this? Can you do something about it, Jesus? Because it's affecting me and Self-preoccupation. We get so consumed with self that, that, we don't, that we just don't see it. In this parable, it's not how much a person is worth or how much a person earns or how, how much value a person has in their life. It's what that person does with what they have. And the problem is it, that question gets clouded because greed makes us turn to ourself. And we filter everything through ourself and through our own eyes. So when we ask, what am I doing? It, it just comes, comes back to ourselves, and we fall into this consumption assumption that we, we just think, well, everything's for me. I earned it. I deserve it. It's up to me to spend it any way I want to. And the amazing thing is we never see it, but our marriages reflect it when greed starts to make us more preoccupied with ourselves. Some, some people have been known to sacrifice their marriage and, and their family, their children, because of greed. Relationships, good friends for years, people that just go along together like everything, and then all of a sudden because of greed, boom, that crashes. Our health sometimes is sacrificed because of greed. People commit suicide because of greed and Jesus says even worse what what would happen if you would actually 
fall out of your, your faith with God, your fellowship with God, your communion with God because of greed. Wouldn't that be foolish? That for all the stuff on this earth, you trade in eternity? Greed is a, blinds us to self-preoccupation. It also consumes us with this need for more. More. Jesus one time calls money uh, mammon. It's, the, it's the, the god of money. It's basically known for more, 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 more. I want more. When I was in college, uh, there was a, a theater downtown called the Blue Mouse. And uh, Jim, you'll, you'll remember this. They had, the, they had the back door at the Blue Mouse at midnight on Saturdays or Fridays. You'd go down and watch these old, crazy movies. The Marx Brothers. Some of you are too young going to Marx Brothers. You know. But they were old then, and they were really old now. They had this one monster movie. It's kind of the, the, the Show of Horrors series, which you got to really be old. But anyway, there was, I don't know if it was an alien or a monster or whatever, but it would go, feed me, feed me. And it got bigger and bigger, feed me, feed. And then it would get fed blood. You get fed, and it would go, more, more, feed me, feed me. Not a good phrase to get for college kids. And I remember there's one guy, one friend that we had in college, Rico Adams. Every time he'd go to the cafeteria, he would go, feed me, feed me. And you know he was in there. And that's another story. Anyway, <laughs> that's what I think of when I think of greed. Because here's the question. How much is enough? How much is enough? When is enough enough? And what clouds that answer that we all ask, no matter where we are on this, this platitude of riches, what clouds that is greed. Because there's a voice in our head that says it's it's never enough in fact after this parable jesus connects worry and anxiety to greed he says look at the fields of the of the earth the, the flowers look at look at the birds of the air god takes care of them and they're not worried won't he take care of you seek first his kingdom all these other things will be added to you but more is an answer that we can never come to because of greed Greed seduces us with a false sense of security and significance. Ah, I got everything I need, the guy says. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm good for the rest of my life. Whoo. I don't even need God. I'm so insulated. I've got so much stuff that I am good for life. And God says, yeah, well, what if your life ends like right now? like today then what this security you thought all this stuff you've insulated with you're not taking it with you what are you going to do with it and this false sense of significance that that jesus addresses when he says as a man's life consist of the abundance of their possessions and most of us would say well no but yeah i guess don't you feel better when you have more stuff? Why do they have shopping malls? Why do they have Amazon? Because you feel better after you've accumulated. Don't you feel better when your, your, your bottom line is growing? You feel better about yourself. Yeah. You ever get a little intimidated when somebody that you 
that comes in, you come in contact with that's really, 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 really rich and really successful, and you just, you're a little intimidated by that person. You take that same math and use that same math, and it would tell you that anybody that doesn't have what you have is less than you. So that you're better than those who don't have what you have. You might feel intimidated by those who have more, but you feel a little arrogant. You feel more significant because of where you live, what you drive, what you wear, what you have in the bank, the next barn that you're about to build. And it clouds us because we just feel significant with what we have. Finally, greed will rob us of our sense of identity. Excuse me, of our destiny. It will rob us of our sense of destiny. God says, what happens if you're just like dead tomorrow? What then? What then? You know, in the old days, like when I was young, <laughs> when we rode dinosaurs to church and do ministry <laughs> and stuff, and there was this big pendulum swing on, on heaven and eternity and getting right with God because where are you going to spend eternity? And we had a phrase back then like, that person is so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Like, all they do is think about heaven. So the pendulum started to swing to try to get back in the line. But now it's gone way over here where nobody talks about eternity anymore. Nobody talks about heaven or where you're going to spend eternity. It's all about right now and enjoy life now. And what does God have for me for right now? And if I could just bring that pendulum back a little bit, yeah, it's about what is now, but it, there's eternity still in our midst. If, if this is all it is, then how we look at this passage is completely different than if there's eternity in the balance. Speaking of little dinosaur songs, there was a song when I was growing up by this lady named Peggy Lee. Some of you are old as I am. And she just asked the question, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friend, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball, if that's all. Is that all there is? Then you might as well just party it up and live it. Some people will say, that is all, that is all. You may say, I, I can't get to eternity in my head. That's, you, you know what, you may be right. Maybe this life is all there is. That, that might be true. But you better be sure. Because that's a pretty big gamble. If you're wrong because you can win in this life but you leave it all behind he who dies with the most toys wins yeah but you're still dead <laughs> and you go into eternity and Jesus says it's a fool who would go into eternity not rich toward God so what does it mean to be rich toward God what's that what does that look like? If we're going to be alive and alert to greed, which, which, you know, I throw all this out at and you're going, Don, good grief. You've just like condemned our whole culture, our whole society, our whole country, our whole church, and yourself. Yeah, I did. 
Because Jesus is pretty, he's pretty strong on this. Would you, would you wake up to what greed can do to you? And then be rich toward God. He doesn't say, never save, never look to the future, never take care of your family, never set aside, never enjoy money. Or He's not saying that at all. Again, it's not what a person has. It's, it's, it's what, what they do with it. It's not that this person has big barns and a lot of wealth. It's that this person has spiritual poverty as well. It's, it's his life is completely out of balance. It's rich here on earth, but impoverished for eternity. God is, God is not just the one who gives us good things. God is the good thing. God just doesn't give us treasures. God is the treasure. When it's all said and done, God is the greatest possession you'll ever have. Think about it this way. Every time we sin, we go in debt to God. Remember, Jesus says when you pray, the Lord's Prayer, pray, forgive us our debts. Forgive us. Because every time we sin, if you want to think about it, we go, we go a little bit further in debt with God. What if every month you got a bill from God for your debts? Every month, here it comes. Thoughts that are unacceptable. Words that you shouldn't have said on Shea Boulevard. Deeds, bad things that you shouldn't have done. Misdeeds, things you should have done, but you didn't do. Sins of omission and commission, Bill. Motives, even when you did good things, you did them for the wrong motives. Little debt. Here comes the bill, past due, interest accruing. I didn't pay last month. Now I got this month in front of me. How in the world? We would have a bigger debt than the American government. <laughs> Trillions. How do you ever pay that? And then one day out of nowhere, you got this bill that added it all up all your life, every month after month after month, itemized. And then at the bottom it said, paid in full. I love you. Signed, Jesus. Jesus is saying, it's a fool who goes to eternity and is in poverty to God. But Jesus came to this earth, from the riches of heaven became poor, lived a sinless life, went to, went to the cross, took our debt upon himself, paid it in full with his own blood. The Bible says he's a ransom for many. He, he paid all the debt that we owe. And when we receive him, when we accept him in, his, in our life, when we give him our heart, when we give him everything about us, he says, not only do I, do I pay for all that debt, but you got my credit card. So that every time God looks at your debt statement, it just says, see righteousness of Jesus. 
see the riches of Jesus. And when death comes and you face God straight on, he's going to look at that. And if he just sees the righteousness of Jesus, guess what? You're rich toward God. Come on in. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on in. But it would be a fool that would face God at the end of all this. With a debt that's so big no one can pay. This morning, I hope that, that you would not even leave this place without receiving that gift that makes you rich toward God. It's Jesus is the treasure. He's the treasure. Old hymn, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only, first place in mine heart. High King of heaven, my treasure, thou art. He's our treasure. C.S. Lewis said, the one who has God in everything has no more than the one who has God alone. Rich toward God. So it's a spiritual thing, but it's not only just a spiritual thing, it is a financial thing. It does deal with that. And um, as, as you close that paragraph down after that, after that parable, Jesus says this, sell your possessions and give to the poor, verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. No thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do I do? I get all this stuff, I got all this increase. Should I build another barn? My barn's already full. My barns are already full. Do I need bigger barns? Do I need more barns? Jesus says, well, maybe, but have you ever thought of this? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Help those that have some need. Do you really need a bigger barn? And then he throws this little phrase in. You're a treasure in heaven. A treasure in heaven that, that's not going to be destroyed. That's, that's not going to stop at this life here on earth. That's going to continue on. Get, get yourself a purse like that. Get yourself an account like that. Try that for on, on for a side. It, it, it'd be like this. The, I, and, I, and I'm so not an expert in this. There's a thing, and you guys may know more about it than me, called Bitcoin. Some Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. Something like something on Star Wars or something. But it, it supposedly, and, and believe me, I, ha, I have no dog in this battle. The, I don't endorse it. I don't criticize it. I'm just telling you it's there. That they're saying it, it could very well be the currency of the future. That our American money may just go and all you have is little green pieces of paper with dead presidents. But Bitcoin is the currency of the future. And I don't, I don't know that that is. But what if, what if somebody came to you? What if you, you your, yourself from the future came and sat down with you and said, hey, Self, let me just tell you what this, this Bitcoin thing is the real deal. The economy is going to go bucketing, and this is the new currency. And uh, man, would you, would you look at your finances a little different? Would you handle your finances a little different? Would you start to look into this cryptocurrency a little more? Here's what happens in this passage Jesus gives us some insider training, trading, it's illegal 
on earth, but it's, it's okay for eternity. He's saying this. When this world's all done, when you're dead and gone and you're into eternity, Bitcoin's not going to mean a thing. Your American dollars are not going to mean a thing. Your Amazon stock, nothing. All your barns, all it, it's going to mean absolutely nothing. But what you put away, what you, what you do, what you give to the treasure of God, when you advance his kingdom, when you, when you give to what moves his heart, it starts to store up this eternal currency. You would be a fool not to do this. You would be a fool to put all your weight into a currency that's not going to exist when this one after the drop of, of water of, of this life gives out to the ocean of eternity, we'll be with you forever. Be rich toward God. Be rich toward God. Now you read this and you go, well, what does that mean? How do you do that? How do you know when, when's enough? How do I know what to give? What, the, the Bible's pretty clear, I think, in, 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 in kind of a practical way. There's three, three words I would give you that just helps. Otherwise, you're like, should I give here? Should I give there? Your heart's moved. You're, you're Somebody brings you to tears, somebody real need that you give, and then you don't give anymore. And it's about you. the three words are this priority, percentage, progressive. You make it a priority that before I build another barn, before I even fill up the barn I have, before all I do is worry about myself, I'm gonna I'm gonna worry about my treasure in heaven. I'm gonna give first and foremost to God. And I'm going to give a percentage. The Old Testament percentage is 10%. Some people like that. Some people don't. I was five years old when my mom gave me a little envelope and put a nickel in it and said, you get 50 cents a week for allowance. Here's a nickel. Take that to church. Put it in there. And I've given 10%. Lori and I give 10%. have all, ever since. Lean years, all good years, bad years, all. We just do that. Some of you are going, 10%? I can't. Well, give a percentage somewhere along the line. 2%? You do one percent where you give to God to advance his kingdom you give to God to help those in need and the, the poor and the oppressed for some of you ten percent doesn't even make a dent in your account that's 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 as, as crazy as somebody only given one percent Bible also talks about being generous with our giving being sacrificial with our giving being faithful with our giving but as you do that you're progressive you say Okay, I'm going to trust maybe 2%. Watch what God does with it. And as he continues to bless me, I'm going to up that up a little bit, up until a goal. Maybe, I'm going to, maybe next, next year I'm going to give 5%, maybe next year 7%. I'm going to get that, that goal at least 10%. I may go beyond that. I may never get there, but, but I'm going to continue to do this because I don't want to go through life and come to the end of life and not be rich toward God. So that really there's, there's three kinds of theology. There's poverty theology where money's bad, don't have anything to do with it, give it all up, go, go live on a mountain and dress with a sheet around you and give everything else up. There's prosperity theology that just says, you deserve it, you're a child of the king, you need to live like a king, drive like a king, act like a king. If you really believe and have enough faith, you will, you'll be rich. If, you don't have, if you're not rich, you don't have enough faith. Those two things are way out there. It's a stewardship theology that God gives us, that Jesus gives us, stewardship. He owns it all. 
He gives us all. He gives us all the means to buy it or to, to earn it. And he just says, don't be a consumption addict. Be stewards of what I've given you. Be stewards. Take care of yourself. Enjoy. Take care of your family. Do what you need to do. But before you do that, look to me, the treasure, the one who gives it all. And give their first. And just make it a habit. Give a percentage. Be progressive as you, as you see fit, as God leads you. I wonder if we would just take each day and, and put a line down the middle of our calendar and put in one column, fool. <laughs> Foolish. That doesn't sound so condemning. Foolish. The other column, rich toward God. And you piled in last week's parable along with this week's parable. And if you took every minute that you lived, all your resources, all your talents, all your abilities, every day that you have, the gift that you have in front of you, and you would, you would at the end of the day, as you, as you look, what, what category would you have spent that day? Foolishly? Only about this world and this earth and this moment and yourself? How much would you put in the category, this has made me a little more rich toward God? My faith to him, my heart. Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to know where your heart is? Follow the money. Follow the money. I'd like you to bow your heads with me if you want. In fact, let's stand together. We're going to sing a song, and Joe's going to lead us in, a, in some response. But if you're here this morning... And um, you have a big debt. You're spiritually impoverished. You have a debt to God. I got the best news ever. That right now you can receive the gift of Jesus. Who says, every debt is wiped away. In fact, here, take my righteousness upon yourself. Let God look at, at me when he sees you, my righteousness. If that's the case, I'd like you just maybe to pray a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I, I want to I I get rid of this debt. I give you the load of debt. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay for it, for the ransom of my debt. Thank you for the gift of, of life, not only here on earth, that's abundant, but forever, that's eternal. I take upon the righteousness of God that makes me rich toward God. In Jesus' name. Amen.